Welcome to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am your host, Joanne Boyce. On this podcast, we're going to discuss all things inclusive marketing, from persona creation, campaigns, and even some of the mishaps we see in the media. Tune in and let me know your thoughts on how we can make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am so excited today. It's our first episode and we're just going to be talking as a team about what on earth is inclusive marketing and why we're all interested in it. I'm going to go last because I feel like I'm going to put my opinions all over the team, but I want you to meet everyone here or hear everyone here, I should say. Um, So person I've been working with for a while now is Serena. She's our a copy consultant. Serena, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Hello, hi, yep, so I'm Serena and I've been working as a copy consultant with Joanne and Arima for a while and it's been really interesting because I think I came into it not knowing all that much initially about inclusive marketing. It's been, yeah, a really good learning process and yeah, it's been a great journey so far. It has. We've had some interesting conversations, especially when it comes to, is this word a word we should use or not? And rabbit holes of debates. Yes. (laughs) We also have our marketing assistant, Jade. Jade, how are you doing? I'm good. (laughs) Jade, you're going to make me chuckle. Um, Yeah, so... Jade is the newest member of the team in two aspects, new to marketing in general and new to the Rima team. I want to know, before you started working with us and working with the team, what did you think inclusive marketing was, Jade? Well, I didn't even know what it was. I'd never even heard of the term before. If I had to guess what it would have been, I would have, I probably would have thought just like trying to be more inclusive of the types of people that aren't normally represented very much. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that's changed since you've been working on like campaigns and doing things and seeing the way that we work internally with clients? I I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It is that, it is representation, but there's also like access- accessibility behind the scenes. A lot goes into it in the strategy. It's not all just representation. There's a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers. And this is going to be an amazing rabbit hole we go down. And how about you, Serena? What did you think inclusive marketing was before we started working together? And also, what do you think of it now? So I guess I initially thought, you know, if you put a person of colour in an ad, that's that's inclusive. But <laughs> that's not it, of course. There is so much more to it. And I think the most interesting aspect for me has been learning about ableist language, which I feel not a lot of people know about um Mm -hmm. so of course you know we're looking at um bias like gender bias we're looking at um all those different areas and but I the interesting thing I think is for me I had a massive massive learning curve when it comes to disability and representation of disability and how often that's probably the thing that's most neglected in inclusive marketing and also just realizing as well that the benefits are not just you know they're not small like it's a good thing to do it's a nice socially responsible thing to do but actually it's also good for for marketing and for your brand and there are actually you know you can actually do a really good thing and make money from it so it's a win-win situation when you actually choose to market inclusively 
Oh, I absolutely love it. I could, it's so good that like seeing how long we've worked together that I can hear you quoting me and I'm like, am I having an egotistic moment? But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that is it is that aspect of the layers, the ways you can make money and do good. It's not just one, one uh, dimension. So in terms of what inclusive marketing means to me, so I've been doing inclusive marketing in some form or another for the past five years. And originally I went by the Salesforce definition where it's representing wider society and how diverse it is. But I found that definition was a little loose because whenever I used it or spoke to people, they're like, yes, we have to put everyone in our campaign. And I'm like, no, your campaign is still targeting a particular audience. And inclusive marketing is taking that marketing aspect, taking who you're targeting and understanding that that target market is diverse. So you will exclude people but you're actively excluding them. You're not accidentally forgetting, oh yeah, there are disabled women and women of color. I forgot to put them in the campaign. If you're actively excluding them and you're being like, okay, no, we're making this product for X individual and we're standing on it. To me, that's still inclusive marketing because you're saying why and you're making sure you're putting the efforts to create content for those audiences. It's Interesting though, because I've had a big learning curve as well in terms of accessibility and disability language and how much words are like ingrained into Mm. everything we say, we do. You see in ads, I am so hypersensitive now to the word crazy. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It is used in so many campaigns and it's used in so many ways to describe this thing. This is maybe cheesy, but crazy, crazy bonantic or whatever terminology they want to use. And I'm just like, is there not another word? Like the English language is so rich. Is there not another word for that? But how is there any words or any things that you've become hypersensitive to or hyper aware of since working in inclusive marketing? I mean, I think crazy is a really good one. Um, I think gender exclusive terms as well. Mm. Like I didn't realize how often things are narrowed down to a particular gender when it just doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you, Serena? Yeah, I've had to kind of evaluate my regular vocabulary. I used to say the word lame a lot. Um mm. And yeah, that's definitely something that I'm trying to reduce now. And I notice it a lot. And it is a commonly used word, you know, among my friends. I think that's something that always pops up. And just kind of being aware of when I say, hey, guys, or when anyone says, hey, guys, like that it's such a little thing. But yeah, it's gendered language. And I'm, yeah, becoming more aware and sensitive of, of words like that that we use in everyday life. Yeah, the hey, guys one is really interesting because... I was looking at some research around influencers and if I was to give a campaign manager like, oh, this is an inclusive guideline for your influencers, I don't think they'll be able to, especially the makeup influencers, ban them from saying, hey guys, like I've been trying to think, is there a way to embed that within campaigns when that's the person's, the way they speak, the way they speak to their audience, the way they engage their audience. And it's it's a fascinating one. But even on the terminology and the gender terminology, it's interesting the shift that's been happening with period campaigns recently and how it's gone. I've seen so many differentiations. I have a client that we've been working with recently 
and we've been trying to find a way to describe people who have periods or if they bleed or if you bleed or if you menstruate. Have you seen that shift? I feel like we, we've been talking about it a little bit, but I'm interested to know, have you seen that shift at all? I didn't notice it until you pointed it out to me, in all honesty. Um, I don't know if it's just because I was oblivious to it. The big one that I probably noticed is the no longer using feminine hygiene products and just um, calling it period products. Did you hmm. see there was this, the... I think it was Asda or Morrison's here in the UK that had a little bit of press around changing the name of their aisles from feminine hygiene to like period products. Was it that one, Serena? Did you notice that as well? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, Actually, around the time that we released one of our blog posts, it, it, it came out quite recently that, yeah, they changed it from feminine hygiene to period products so that they can include everyone so you know if you're male and you menstruate you're included within that and you're just dealing with it doesn't make sense to assign a gender to something like that I mean at the end of the day it's a product for a period and that's what it's there for so yeah it made complete sense I feel for them to make that move it's so much of it where it's like it makes sense as soon as you hear it but unless it's your lived experience even though we all come from different marginalized backgrounds you wouldn't think that intersectional aspects like I thought about when I speak to a client okay what is your representation of the trans community but my automatic thought when I'm thinking of period products is women because I myself as a marketer have been indoctrinated to think solely women have periods but obviously trans men would still have that and as a marketer this is where it gets a little do it for the good but do it for the money if 20% of your audience is trans men and still have periods you kind of want to sell to them it's it's a way to tap into a market. It's an interesting one. But yeah, I never it never crossed my mind until it did and then it made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until it's been pointed out to you. So much of that happens. Do you think so if we were to make as a team now, say we we're gonna make a campaign for a period product, let's say period cups or sanitary pads. This is such a such a niche episode but I love it um from what you've seen from like our research and stuff what elements would you pull from some good campaigns that you've seen out there so I really love body forms womb stories campaign and I compare that a lot to um so I always sort of cringe a little bit when I hear have a happy period and I know what always they're trying to do when they say that they're trying to say you know this product is going to help help you and make you feel better blah 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 but I've always sort of thought oh god that's not inclusive of everyone's experience because for a lot Mm -hmm. of people having a period isn't necessarily a happy thing It, it can be that they suffer from menstrual pain it could be that they're having trouble conceiving I think it's very complex and I I feel that body forms womb stories paints that complex picture Mm -hmm. and you know shows the wide breadth of experiences out there um for anyone that's menstruating so for me I think I would definitely draw from that particular campaign you see everything you see women of different ages you see um a young girl getting her period you see a woman you know struggling with endometriosis Uh, yeah I, I really felt that that was representative more representative of um experiences that people have no I really love that campaign as well because it's so focused on the story and the experience rather than 
what they're trying to paint the experience to be. Because campaigns back in the day, I think we pulled some out of the archives, were all about, oh no, your period, hush, hush. Or yes, you can still be a married woman and use tampons or or <laughs> period bud being blue. So much things that they, it's like they imagined. And that campaign simply went and asked people and then reflected what they experienced. It's, it seems so simple when you say it like that, but it's nuts. How about yeah. you, Jade? I mean, it's interesting because there was an old body form ad actually that I was just looking at the other day that is kind of doing that hush-hush thing you were just talking about. There was like a male commenter um, who may or may not be real. And he was like, oh, I saw these ads where the women are having such a great time. And I was so excited to, for when my wife got her period so I, we could have this great time together. And then actually it's really horrible and there, there is no blue blood at all. And, and they did quite a tongue-in-cheek response um that was very subtle they didn't kind of name anything I don't think um but they've had a real shift within the last few years and I I love the womb stories one as well there's another one they did where they're like showing the red blood that's really great destigmatizing mm-hmm. that and I think they've recently done one about like period insomnia so it sounds like they're really trying to bring in like all different aspects of, of periods and showing real representation different perspectives I that blue blood one really baffles me because I think I grew up seeing blue blood in these campaigns and I'm like where was the who came into the room or what regulatory body said that you couldn't show blood on tv but you can show it in the movies like yeah where and then why blue why not something blood red adjacent you know I feel like purple would have been a little just yeah it makes no sense and um, I know that a lot of like television stations and things wouldn't show the body form ad with the with the red blood. And I think most of their reach came through YouTube, which is really interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that I think that created a cultural shift. I feel people are still talking about the fact that body form used red blood. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. I feel like that was the start of the narrative because now I'm seeing companies come out and their terminology and their language is focused on okay we want to start inclusive of everyone and then we want to work backwards and be like okay who are we actually serving who are the people who can actually use our product and what do we call them and they're defining it themselves they're not just saying women they're menstruators and um people who bleed which maybe it might be a generational thing for me but menstruators feels aged a little bit like if i was referred to as a menstruator I would feel like someone's assuming I'm in my 40s or 50s. I don't know yeah. why. Well, menstruation itself is a weird term because it's so clinical. Like, no one calls it menstruation. Everyone calls it a period. It makes me think of, um, oh, I can't remember. There was another term like it, though. That, oh, um, like, don't call um, in your campaigns, like, female and male. Like, it's too clinical. Just call them men and women or non-binary individuals. It doesn't need to be so scientific and, and clinical. You can use, like, period is a relatively colloquial term I suppose but it's got such a shared experience that you could say someone with a period and people understand I do wonder though if that will ever change over time because even period as a word has depending on how you use it in a sentence has two completely different meanings because you have period like we're talking about it now the thing that uh, people who menstruate experience but then you have it, if a marketer was going to use it in a s- slang aspect or put a tweet out and be like, period, sis. It's like, ah, completely. Mm. 
I saw, I think, I can't remember what company it was, but they ended their tweet with period sis. And I was just like, it didn't land well. It just felt, it was kind of like when I think Spotify a couple of years ago tried to use Slay. And it was just like, mm. Yeah, trying too hard. <laughs> it's trying way too hard. But no, I'm super excited. So in terms of this podcast and what you would both love to talk about. This is our very first episode. We have so much research we've done in the company around so many different topics, but what comes to mind as something you either want to talk about or maybe a guest we want to have on and talk to them and get some perspectives. Like I'm thinking, I have a friend who has a period company, uh, a period product company. It'd be great to talk to her about like how she set up her marketing and like came to the decisions on that. But yes, yeah. What are the ideas? What should we put out to the universe, Serena? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give me a sec. My brain's just gone like completely blank. I put you I on the spot. If you'll agree with me, Serena, but like the first thing that comes to mind is probably where like my head's at with like the research I'm doing right now, but it's exclusive language. It's the random little ones that you'd never know. Like the, there's so many random little words that you'd never know had this weird background that is uh, makes it not okay because it's so ingrained in our language but little did you know that is actually um a racist term because it was taken from a whole different country and they twisted the meaning of it mm, actually i think that would be really interesting like just going down the path of some words because even the word lame i was aware but i wasn't as aware until we started putting together our language dictionary of how far back that went yeah that would be fascinating and probably if we can find we can probably find a way of like terms that are widely used by marketers like hey guys is widely used we, we it comes up all the time mm-hmm. people put it out on yeah. company accounts all the time that would be interesting the history of commonly used words how about if we were to do something i i would love to but this is me putting out wide into the universe i would love to speak to rihanna's head of marketing or liz's head of marketing Oh, yes. I would love to speak to them to know what that discussion to set up those campaigns and what is the brief that if they work with agencies that they give them. Because I think I heard Lizzo say once for her new product, Yitty, 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 Yitty. No, I'm putting the T's in it. It's not T's. Anywho, (laughs) I think she said once she intentionally starts at um, larger sizes as the first option and then goes the other way. And then I think it might be, I imagined it, or it might be true. Rihanna said she started looking at darker shades first and like Mm -hmm. flipped the narrative of things. So I would love to know how their head of marketing teams and how they put together campaigns. Like what is the brief? What do they go down in their checklist to make sure they're including everyone who uses their product? Yeah, that would be really interesting. And I think sometimes like even just going a bit deeper than that, the needs I think of like people like people of color like there are differences aren't they so I think when you look at like dark skin tone shades for say a particular brand it might be that the undertones are completely Mm. wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so yeah it'd be really interesting to kind of see how they branch out not just in terms of the actual shade itself but in terms of undertones and and capturing you know all the different makeup needs for people of color because mm. even ma- even imagine and we're doing a lot of research on Fenty right now which is why it's top of mind but even thinking about that aspect they go through all those undertones but then they have to then 
find models and influencers that fit those skin tone shades to then give them product or pay them or hire them to be in the campaign. So what came first? Did the influencer or the need inspire the representation or did the requirement of representation inspire the need for, oh, I I don't know. That would be cool. Exactly. And they must work hard to find models as well, because when you do, like, so for example, I know my shade, <laughs> Fenty Foundation, but when I have a look at the examples that they have, um, it ranges across ethnicity. So, you know, you don't just have the one image of, say, you know, someone with my skin tone, and they're just from one background, one ethnicity, and that's the only example that you're getting. So I know with my particular skin tone, you know, uh, it can vary like it can stretch across different ethnicities and they show that so they don't just have the one model when you're looking for your foundation shade they have a good few and they look entirely different but the only similarity that they have is the shade itself but you know that they're from a range of backgrounds I think that was really cool that is a really good point yeah that's so like on point as well of like just inclusive marketing in general like yes you can have the one product but it's the range of people that are using it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And on that note, it's that perfect landing point. <laughs> We're going to wrap up this episode. Um, join us to hear more about everything inclusive marketing. We're going to have regular episodes. I'm not going to commit <laughs> to a certain amount a month. We're going to have regular episodes. You've been listening to myself, Joanne Boyce, founder of Arima & Co., and my amazing team, Jade and Serena, and we've been discussing inclusive marketing, what it means to us, and how period campaigns have changed over the years. Thank you for tuning in.